Well, let me add my welcome this morning. My name's Alistair. I'm the lead pastor here at St. Peter's Fireside. And before we get into God's word together, let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we ask that you'd apply it to our minds, that we not grow shallow, that you'd apply it to our hearts, that we not grow cold, and that you'd apply it to our feet. That we'd not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We pray all of these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I want to do something a little bit different today. As you just heard in our reading, we're taking two different parts of Luke, chapter 4, verses 40 through 44, and chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. We're taking these two parts, skipping 11 verses to bring them together. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 in detail next week. But by bringing these two sections of Luke together, I think it helps us see something that Luke is telling us if we just read through his gospel. And I also think it's helpful to see something about this passage that speaks into the beginning of Mental Health Week this week. And here's what I think it is that Luke wants us to see. Jesus meets us in desolate places. Jesus meets us in desolate places. And I want to look at two things this morning that will help us explore that idea. The first is the places Jesus visited, and the second is trading places with Jesus. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 4, verses 40 through 44. Let's read this one more time. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So let's begin with our first point, the places that Jesus visited. Luke wants us to pay attention to geography throughout his gospel. He wants us to pay attention to location. And after a full night of liberating and healing people from disease and spiritual afflictions, in the morning, as the sun rises, Jesus departs to a desolate place. A desolate place. A barren, uninhabited place lonely place, outside of the town, away from everybody. As Jesus lives into his why, as Jesus proclaims the good news of God's coming kingdom, as Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 61, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, his reputation understandably starts to grow. More and more people start to seek him out because Jesus offers something they can find nowhere else because the message he proclaims is not merely words, but something that transforms their lives in reality. But despite this growing demand, Jesus withdraws. He removes himself from the unrelenting needs that surround him. He paces his work and these relationships by unplugging. And he pursues a desolate place. It's the ancient equivalent of turning off all your electronics and turning off social media and getting away for the day. But it's more than that too. 
Jesus is intentionally choosing solitude. And although Luke doesn't say it here in chapter 4, in chapter 5, verse 16, Luke says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. So out there in the dark, early in the morning, in this uninhabited, desolate place, Jesus withdraws to pray, to be alone, but he's hardly alone. He's there to spend time with his father, to anchor himself in the presence of his father without facing the needs of others. So prayer in a solitary place undergirds the whole ministry of Jesus. And this is so important for us to pay attention to because if the son of God needed to withdraw from all the busyness and all the distraction to dwell uninterrupted in the presence of the father, How much more do we in our frailty need to emulate him in this practice? You know, the rhythms and the demands of our day-to-day lives, they can distract us and drain us and keep us from prayer and keep us from the presence of God. And over time, we start to find ourselves disconnected without a sense of God's living presence among us, without a sense of our connection to Jesus. And in a strange way, as our lives become increasingly desolate, it's because we've been avoiding the desolate place, meeting God in solitude, alone, bearing our souls to him. Jesus was fully human, just like us. Jesus knows how very easy it is to live on earth disconnected from the presence of the Father. And so he frequently withdraws to dwell with the Father and to re-anchor himself in his why, in his purpose, why he came. Now, how do we know that's what he's doing out in the desolate place? Well, Luke tells us. Look again at verses 42 uh, through 43. The people sought Jesus and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. This is why I came. For people listening to Jesus, they don't really get it, do they? They come out to Jesus and they say, what are you doing out here in this desolate place? Come back to our town. Come and stay with us. We need you to do what you do. We need you to heal us. But Jesus, he knows why he came. He's clear about his purpose. He says, I came to preach the good news of God's kingdom, not just here, but in other places as well. Now, I just want to remind us that when Jesus preaches this news, he goes around teaching, but it's not limited to teaching. As Jesus teaches, his very presence and power transforms things around him. People are healed, bodies are mended, people are liberated from demonic oppression, lives are reordered. As Jesus preaches, reality bends to his word. These things happen in his midst because he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. These things happen because he's declaring the rule and reign of God. It's manifesting in the present. These things happen because of who Jesus is. He is the king of the kingdom. He's the promised Messiah, the son of God. And so Jesus, he reemerges from a desolate place. He reemerges anchored in why he came and he starts going out town to town to proclaim this good news of God's coming kingdom. But as he goes from town to town, we see that Jesus is not finished 
with desolate places because Jesus came to meet us in desolate places. Whether it's geographical or physical or spiritual, Jesus came to meet us in our desolation. And we see this so clearly in his encounter with a man with leprosy in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. So while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for, as a proof to them. So how do we know Jesus isn't done with desolate places? Jesus encounters a leper. In the ancient world, leprosy was heavily stigmatized. Unlike today, it didn't have a treatment it was incurable. It was dangerous, life-threatening, highly contagious. You know, leprosy, it could cause numbness and skin lesions and severe pain. It could cause partial or complete paralysis of, of the hands and feet. It could weaken your muscles. It caused blindness. It was a debilitating, desolating disease. This man was physically desolated. And in the ancient world, there was only one treatment for leprosy. Wait and see. Wait and see. It'll either resolve or it'll get worse. And since some forms were incredibly contagious, people were, with leprosy were cut off from society and quarantined. You became untouchable. You were stigmatized. You were pushed to the outskirts. And if you didn't get better, you never returned. And so most people with leprosy were shunned and excluded. In other words, they were socially desolated on top of being physically desolated. And this disease, it was a death sentence. It would have robbed this man of his name, of his occupation, of his family, of his fellowship, of his worshiping community. He couldn't even go to temple. He was spiritually desolated. And nobody would touch this man, and nobody could touch this man, because if someone came into contact with him, if someone touched them, they became unclean. Not only did they risk getting leprosy, but they were uh, ritually unclean. They had to go through a whole purification rite before they could worship in the temple again. And so this leper was an outcast in the truest sense. He was cast out. His only home was a desolate place, cut off from society because he himself was completely desolated by his disease. And Luke writes that this man, full of leprosy, came to Jesus in the city. He sought Jesus out. This is a gutsy move. He's supposed to stay away from the city. And this man would have known that he was supposed to stay away, stay separated. But God knows how long he was out there. And then presumably he hears the rumors about Jesus, that he's going around and healing people. So the man takes the risk. He goes into the city and he comes humbly, and I'm guessing desperately, and I just love his posture. Look at verse 12. Luke writes, he fell on his face and begged him. This is the kind of posture you take before royalty. This is the kind of posture you take before a king. You know, we can't say exactly what this man knows about Jesus. 
He's heard the stories. He's heard Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, but he treats Jesus like he is the king of the kingdom. And he falls on his face and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, this is already scandalous. He's already taken the risk. He's come into the city, but this isn't even the most scandalous part of our passage. Here it is. Jesus touches him. Jesus touches him. Jesus can heal this man simply by speaking. We've already seen this in Luke's gospel. A person was demon-possessed, and Jesus says, be silent, come out of him, and what happens? The demon is expelled. Jesus speaks, and reality bends to his word. Jesus could simply speak, you're healed, and it be done, but no. Jesus reaches out and touches the untouchable. He touches a desolated man and life springs forth. Now, to the average first century person, Jesus is out of his mind. You're nuts. You don't touch someone with leprosy. You don't go around touching them. And if you touch a leper, you're going to get the disease and you're going to become unclean, but not so with Jesus because Jesus reverses things. As he touches the leper, rather than the leper making Jesus unclean, the cleanliness of Jesus cleans the leper. He reaches across all boundaries, physical boundaries, you know, social boundaries, spiritual boundaries, and Jesus touches the man and he cleanses him. And think about it. When was the last time this guy was touched? When was the last time he was touched by another human being? And we probably can empathize with that a little more during the pandemic than we could before. This man's touched. Jesus affirms his dignity. He affirms his personhood, his body, and his ability to be in community. By healing him, Jesus doesn't just liberate this man from a disease, but restores him into community. There's so many healings taking place. But here's an interesting thing. When Mark describes this story in his gospel, he actually gives us a glimpse into what's going on in the heart of Jesus. Mark writes these words, Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. This word pity, it can also be translated compassion, but the word Mark uses is a really unique word. It has strong implications of anger. It's a driving, intensely emotional, expressive passion. One scholar says, uh, he translates it in his own words, Jesus snarled and snorted and touched the leper. And you think, what is going on? Jesus has this compassionate anger towards this man with leprosy. And this might sound odd. Why would Jesus be angry? But you've probably felt it before. Have you ever felt this intense compassion towards people who are marginalized or oppressed? People dying needlessly of starvation. And a deep, burning anger that people and rulers and systems allow these things to happen. Jesus' compassion is directed toward the person and his anger toward the affliction. Jesus is angry about the brokenness of this creation and how it debilitates people. 
He's angry at how the brokenness of sin ripples through every thread of our existence, causing pain and separation and disorder. And yet Jesus is deeply compassionate towards those who are suffering as a result. And so here's what Luke wants us to see. And here's why we've brought these two passages together. Jesus doesn't just preach in common or comfortable places. He heads out into desolate places, not only to be anchored in his own connection to the Father and his purpose, but to fulfill his purpose, to proclaim his good news to the poor, those who are desolated, to seek after people who know this desolation and to liberate them into the kingdom of God, to restore their lives. But then the story ends rather strangely. Luke writes, Jesus charged him to tell no one. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to him and he healed them of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Well, how did this story travel from place to place if Jesus told the man not to say anything? Once again, Mark fills in this detail for us in his gospel. Mark writes, but the man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You know, the man can't keep it to himself despite Jesus saying, keep this to yourself. And guess why? I mean, he's excited. I mean, it's understandable, but still he was called to secrecy and instead he goes proclaiming it on the rooftops. But what's the result? Jesus trades places with him. And this is our last point, trading places with Jesus. Jesus, he's relieved the man with leprosy of his burden, but in broadcasting the news, this man has now placed a burden on Jesus. Mark writes in his gospel, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but was out in desolate places. And then Luke says, Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So before this encounter, Jesus could move freely from town to town, city to city, teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And this leper was isolated and excluded from these places. But now the leper can move freely within the city and Jesus is the one outside in desolate places. Jesus restores this man to life and community, but at the cost of his own exclusion. And Luke wants us to see this is all part of why Jesus came. He's driven out into the desolate place, but what does he do there? He prays. He re-anchors himself in his why, his purpose. Jesus came into the world to trade places with us. Jesus starts in prayer in this passage, in a desolate place, anchoring himself in his why, and he ends in a desolate place because of his mission. Jesus came to be desolated for us. Jesus came to lose his life that we might find life. He ultimately will be desolated on the cross where he will cry the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He will be desolated by forsakenness that we might be embraced and brought back home. But maybe this doesn't make sense to you. Why would Jesus trade places with a leper or anyone? Why would Jesus choose to be desolated? Again, it comes back to his compassionate anger. Jesus looks at all that's broken and wrong with this world, 
how we are lost and ruined by the fall. And he says, I'll go there. I'll trade places with them. And he freely chooses it. This isn't forced upon him. It's not out of obligation, but out of his great compassion. He says, I will be desolated so they can be restored. I will suffer immensely so that they can have abundance. I will be oppressed so that they can be set free. And this is what Jesus does for us is he's desolated by sin and oppression and evil on the cross. Jesus is desolated for us so that we can be restored to life and community and relationship with the triune God and with one another. But Jesus doesn't just walk out into desolate spaces out there. He has compassion toward the desolate spaces in here, in our lives, and even the desolation we experience physically in our bodies. So for those of us, including myself, who know the pain and the toil and struggle of mental health challenges, we should be relieved by this passage. Jesus has compassion for you. He has compassion for us and the ways in which our various mental health challenges rob us of well-being and flourishing. And whether it's an experience of depression or anxiety or a whole host of other issues, Jesus has compassion for us, but also a rightful anger about the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our bodies, and how they rob us of community, how they rob us of well-being, how they rob us of flourishing. Jesus has compassionate anger for you. And let me be clear, he's not angry at you. He's angry at all the things that rob us of abundant life. He is full of compassion for you. So maybe it's a gnawing depression that robs you of purpose and joy. Maybe it's a languishing that's grown as this pandemic wears on. Maybe it's a sense of hopelessness that things in your life will ever actually turn around for the better or a relationship that you just can't seem to mend or a chronic illness that causes you suffering every day. Any of these things can be desolate places for us. And you can name the reality of what it is for you. It's the reality that sucks you dry. And it's these things that sometimes make us feel like we're on the outside looking in, wondering if we'll ever be whole. And Jesus has compassion for us. He can and will and does meet us in these places. He went out into desolate places to connect with his Father, and he went out into desolate places to save us. Which means that in desolate places, we can find Jesus there, paving a way to God. We'll find him in the desolation. So how should we respond Well, we should respond a lot like the leper does in this passage. He falls down and he kneels before Jesus as king and he implores him. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. You can heal me. And Jesus does because reality bends to his word. He can mend your body. He can heal you. He can change your circumstances. He has the power To do that, he didn't just work miracles when he came. He still works miracles. But I know many of you are still waiting for the miracle, aren't you? You've been praying. You've been waiting. Things haven't changed. Things haven't gotten better. 
And I know that this waiting, this tension, it can be very painful. And our hope and miracles and our expectation and prayers that God might work one in our life or the life of someone we love and the tension of not seeing him respond or answer, it's deeply disorienting. And I know it's easy to become disappointed or bitter or question why God heals some or not others or why he seems to be so actively healing all throughout the New Testament, but so rarely healing in our place and time. I want to remind you that these particular instances where Jesus heals, it is about the healing, but it's not about the healing. Sometimes we can lose sight of what the miracles point to. They are signposts that signify something else. When the kingdom comes, this is what it looks like. Jesus is giving us glimpses. That in his kingdom, when God's perfect rule and reign comes, there is no illness. There is no demonic. There is no evil. There is no sin. There is no suffering. He's manifesting the rule and reign of God in a particular place at a particular time. And he he still does that. But even if we don't see him answer that prayer the way we would like now, we have the assured hope that he'll answer that prayer when his kingdom comes. That our bodies will be made whole that our lives will be made whole, that we will see him make this creation whole. And so one day your prayers and your requests, they will be answered. Jesus guarantees it. And in the meantime, he's given us his spirit, which comforts us in all the afflictions and trials that we carry. But there is an invitation from Christ for us to persist. You cannot annoy God with your ongoing prayers. Keep coming to him. Tell him you're angry. Tell him you're frustrated. Tell him you want him to move. And let's keep praying for the miracle, trusting that even if it does not come now and not later, it will come ultimately. You see, our comfort, whether we're healed or not, is that Jesus was completely desolated himself. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. And he has compassion for us. Because he cares for us. He has a just anger toward all that's wrong in this world. And the desolated one is bringing abundant life. And what Jesus has done for us was not done in vain. He will not leave us in desolation. I like how Anne Graham Lotz puts it. If God can bring blessing from the broken body of Jesus in glory, from something that's obscene as the cross, he can bring blessing from my promise and my pain and my unanswered prayers. He can bring goodness from my problems and my pain and my unanswered prayers. One last point. As Jesus meets us in our own desolate places, he invites us to follow him into the desolation of others, the desolation of this world. Because as I said last week, Jesus invites us to live into his why, to share his purpose and mission in a variety of ways. And often, not always, but often, one gift we offer the world is our own experience of Christ's compassion in our brokenness and suffering and pain. As we follow Jesus, we often follow him as an extension of his compassion 
to people who've experienced similar things that we have. Part of my doctoral research was uh, interviewing a group of people who are joyful and just listening to their life stories. It was a lot of fun. But what was surprising was that 90% of the people I interviewed shared deeply painful moments in their life. It's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies. They know joy and they know suffering. And all of them, they, they talked about these creative ways they would take what they've experienced with God in their own brokenness and serve others in a similar pain and suffering. Once, one person I spoke with shared candidly with me her own experience of suicidal ideation and dark loneliness. She shared almost hopeless times where the valley was so deep, the darkness so thick, that she didn't want to live. And yet she would get glimmers of Christ's compassion, even in the darkness. Whether it was directly to her soul or through the kindness of another. And as she's walked her own mental health journey, as she's been liberated from some of these issues and learned how to cope with many of them, as she's found some healing but not total healing, she said this to me, and it stuck with me. I really have a calling for loneliness. I really have a calling for loneliness. And I don't want anyone to experience the loneliness I've experienced. And so Jesus, following Jesus for her, is going into the desolation of loneliness and people struggling with suicidal thoughts. It's beautiful. Now, I want you to know, no matter how dark things may be for you right now, if her past experience is your present, I want to know you can talk to us. We're not going to stigmatize you or judge you. If you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, we want you to know your life matters. You have dignity because God created you and loves you and made you in his image. You matter. And if you need help, we're here for you. Please don't hesitate to reach out. We'll help you find the support you need. We'll introduce you to people who would want to walk alongside you or we'll help you get counseling. Even if you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. You matter to us. So please reach out if you're in a dark place. And I know that's sometimes the hardest step but I pray and hope that you'll find the courage when what, what little strength might be left in your reservoir to take that step and to say, I'm not doing well. Would someone meet with me? But I want you to realize you don't have to suffer alone or think that this church is some place where these types of matters don't exist. This is a place of broken and desolated people. You're probably more qualified to be in this community with your brokenness than your perfections. I just got this from the back from Heidi Martin. This passage shows us we are never too far gone for Jesus. He will reach out and touch you. He will. I don't know what it'll look like, but he'll reach out and touch you. It won't just be like a hand appearing from the sky, but he'll reach out and he'll touch you. You are not too unclean, no matter what you say to yourself or what others say about you. You are never too unclean for Jesus. He will reach out and touch you and meet you with great compassion and anger for all the things that are robbing you of life. And so, not always, but often, Jesus invites us to connect our past and present suffering with similar suffering in others. 
So it might be your own experience of mental health uh, challenges or your own experience of loss and grief or regret or failures or relationships not working out the way you thought or your own struggles through faith and finding God. Whatever it may be for you, here's just one thing I want us to remember as a community. We are not called into desolate places to fix people. We are not called to fix people. It's not our job. Rather, we are called into these places to be an extension of Christ's compassion. And often when you meet someone in their desolation, it looks like holding on to faith when they can't. It looks like enduring in hope when they just can't seem to see past the darkness. It looks like assuring them of Christ's presence through your own presence because they can't see him at the moment. It looks like being present and compassionate and with them. It looks like pointing people ultimately to the one who can heal them. The king who can bend reality to his word. The king who has compassion for us and is liberating us and is sharing his abundance of life with us. If not today, maybe tomorrow. If not tomorrow, maybe in the future. If not in the future, definitely when he establishes his kingdom. So this means we have two questions to ask as recipients and ambassadors of the good news. As recipients, what desolation is Jesus calling you out of? What desolation is Jesus calling you out of? And as ambassadors, what desolation is Jesus calling you into? What desolation is he calling you into? And the only way we can answer either of these questions is to draw into the desolate place for prayer. To go into that solitary place before God, to lay before him the desolation of our own souls and to say, Christ, show me your great compassion. Show me your goodness. Show me your healing. Show me how you want, to re- how you want me to emerge from this word, world place, sharing in your purpose, meeting others in their desolation. You can't discern that without drawing into the presence of Christ in a solitary place. But as you do, may you know the compassion of Christ in your own desolation. And may you move into the desolation of others in this world, sharing his compassion. Let's pray.